What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts some I mean? like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. Hello and welcome to the M. Night Shift, the podcast where we review and discuss the career of M. Night Shyamalan. I'm your co-host, AJ Gonzalez, movie blogger and video store clerk. And I'm the other host, Brian Connolly. I also work at Vulcan Video. Vulcan Video in glorious Austin, Texas. It's hot here right now. It is 101 degrees, and it's only June. It will only get hotter. We're all going to die. Yes. (laughs) I mean, everyone dies someday, but we're going to die this summer because of the heat. Well, so last week we talked about the buried secret of M. Night Shyamalan. And the secret was a bad mockumentary. Yes. Not... The secret we hoped it would no, be. No, it was kind of disappointing because I like stuff about making movies. But anyway, that was just to whet your appetite, to get you ready for M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. And by this point, his movies had his name, his name possessively over the title of the movie. Very few filmmakers got that. Incredibly uh, few. Like Alfred Hitchcock, John Carpenter. Carpenter. Like you didn't go see Steven Spielberg's War Horse. You didn't. <laughs> you didn't. You know, the man has an amazing career. He's the most famous filmmaker ever. He's never had his name above the title. Who is the least deserving person to have their name above the, t- the oh. title? Where you're like, I remember watching, it, he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't deserve it, but it was baffling where the trailer for Con Air, when it came out, on the trailer, they're like, a film by Simon West. And I'm like, <laughs> who the fuck is Simon West? Like, why does he get a film by credit? Like, isn't that, like, the first thing he ever did? Like, you can't do that. Like, you have to wait till we know who you are for us to, for you to have your name at least mentioned. Or, like, if it's a Spike Lee joint or something, you have to earn that, you know? Yeah, I liked it in uh, certain uh, TV spots. They'll, like, rush the director's name in. A John Turtle Taub film. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> the director of Three Ninjas? <laughs> Oh, okay. I mean, you had me at Nicolas Cage hunting for treasure. All right. But the movie we, we watched today was The Village. And my Shyamalan's The Village. The Village, released in August of, no, July 30th, 2004, had a budget of $60 million. Damn. And this movie, which is not really well-liked, was not well-reviewed. Most people have negative memories of it. This quote-unquote bad movie grossed $114 million domestically and earned an Oscar nomination for original score. Whoa. Yeah. James Newton Howard lost to the guy that did the score, The Finding Neverland. Wait, really? Yeah. Funny Neverland has an Oscar win? Yes, it does. That movie's terrible! It is not good. Mark Forster is Funny Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I, I, I learned something new. I didn't know that. Anywho, so even by then, like, by now, people had started jumping off the Shyamalan ship. They weren't going to... Not everyone was going to see a movie just because he made it. But... Apparently still a lot people of people went to go like, see this movie. Well, a lot of people still really liked Signs. Like, he started to lose people with Signs, but he still... But I think he didn't... Like, it wasn't, like, half. I feel like he was losing a small percentage after Signs who didn't like it. But then this movie, 
I think he cut it in half. I think he cut the people like the stuff in half. I think 50% of the fans left at this point after this movie were done. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. That was good. Pretty much like, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people tapped out after this. Maybe because of the twist or twists. We'll get into that later. But first. First, we got to talk about a scotch. So this month's uh, scotch is High Commissioner, H-I-G-H. High Commissioner Blended Scotch Whiskey. Distilled, blended, and bottled in Scotland. Established 1856. Over 140 years of experience and craftsmanship, the unique blend of Scotch whiskey selected from some of the finest whiskey in Scotland, the Loch Lomond Group. And that's it. There's no real story. Like we, It's too bad because we've been getting stories, I feel, with a lot of these. Yeah. This one, you just got to go to www.lochlomondgroup.com, and maybe there's a story on there. You know, this is like a $12 whiskey. It's, it's not good. Bad. I like it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not the best, but... It's got a nice full flavor, especially after the ice has started to melt. Mm, yeah, no, I like it. It's got a nice little smoky taste, uh, which I always like from a good scotch. I feel like this would, would blend well with uh, with mixers. And I say that because I still have not entirely drank uh, the scotch we had that was in a jug, <laughs> which is so weak <laughs> that if I make a cocktail with it, like if I make a Manhattan, it's I only taste vermouth, which I do not enjoy. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> I've been slow to finish our whiskey, so whenever we finish an episode, like my, my bar card is filling up with a variety of uh, whiskeys. I would imagine very similar to the bar card of a Winston Churchill, right? <laughs> you, probably, you probably have like forty different kinds of Scotch yeah. whiskeys, but six different kinds of brandy that they might and gin. Of course, he's a big gin guy, so. I'm on my way to being an old British man just having, like, oh, a nice whiskey after work. It's good. I think you can tell a good whiskey, a good scotch, when the the ice is melted in it, and it still tastes good. It yeah. doesn't taste watered down. It still, like, has a great, you know, punch it, to like, it. enhances the flavor. It paradoxically enhances the flavor, which is great. That's one of my favorite things about, about scotch. Yeah. But you know what? I'm not going to water it down too much because I want to feel this scotch halfway yeah. through. Uh, and funny enough, the uh, so the old Scott from uh, I would say it would be four or five episodes. Whenever the the second the one before the last time I hosted, okay, I finished that whilst watching the village. I needed Whoa. the help of that old Scotch to go get through this movie. I uh, <laughs> I had a, a cider, a hard cider while watching the village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so that's it. Scotch, out of the way, done. High Commissioner. I like the name High Commissioner. It seems like it should be the name of a movie in the 70s, like Robert Culp is the High Commissioner. <laughs> yeah. Right? It doesn't seem like that'd be like some hard 70s like cop movie, but not the kind that would star someone famous like a Burt. It wouldn't be a Burt Reynolds or a Clint Eastwood. It would be more like Robert Culp or maybe another Robert. I don't know. I don't know. Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara is the high... That would be a good 60s TV. Like, what show did Ben Gazzara win three Emmys for? Oh, the High Commissioner. <laughs> it was on for three years, and he won the Emmy every year. Ben Gazzara is the High Commissioner. <laughs> Robert Blake is the High Commissioner. <laughs> Anyways, okay, moving on. Right. So the sad thing uh, about the village, and, and I think this is going to be the way with maybe some of the other ones going forward, is there isn't trailers before it. I... I had trailers. Oh, really? When I saw it, I did not get trailers. 
I had trailers. I had there was a teaser trailer for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. There was a trailer for Ladder Forty Nine starring Oh, nobody remembers that movie. Nobody except me. Because That's John Travolta, right? John Travolta and Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, I know that because I saw that in the theaters because I went to college with the nephew of the director. Yeah. And he gave his nephew, like, here's like $200, like, take all your friends. You're going to see the movie. To go see Ladder 49. So we all went and saw Ladder 49 and said polite things about it afterwards. So there were trailers. See, I was about to think, I wonder if my DP player skipped over it. Or I just don't remember. Maybe I just blocked it from my mind because it was Ladder 49. Because it's Ladder like, 49 and the other one is <laughs> Mr. 3000. Oh, uh, nobody, nobody remembers. <laughs> yeah, and these uh, trailers, they still, at this point, we're still doing The Voice. Like, I guess that guy, what's his name? Hadn't, uh, hadn't died yet. Uh, it was still just like, eh, like... Like, he like, was the top of his game. Yeah. Like, 3,000, you know, score points. Yeah. Like when most people run out of a burning building, they run in. Yeah, trailers don't. That, do that guy. Anymore. Very sorry, I don't remember his name, and I'm not hooked up to the internet right now. What was the last trailer that had narration? I feel that's not a thing, unless it's like the character's narration. When it's just like, when well, I was a young kid, you know, like you get that, but like you don't know, you no longer have this like narrator just telling you about the movie. No, that's you not don't. A thing you anymore. don't. They take a yeah a speech from the movie that kind of encapsulates the movie mm-hmm. and use that. Mm-hmm. To introduce the movie to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, those were the trailers. Uh, so, hey, remember <laughs> Mr. 3000? Come rent it at Vulcan Video. So whose turn is it to say the plot? Is it my I turn believe it's turn? my turn. Do uh, it. All right, I'll try to be brief and not sleepy. Give away all the twists. Okay. Do it all. All right, so uh, the opening credits are just scenes of, like, spooky-looking trees and text on screen. And then it opens... With uh, at a funeral, and Brendan Gleeson is burying his son, and the tombstone says like 1897 on it. And so we're in this village that uh, it seems to be like a small community where they are secluded here in this like valley by the by by woods all around them. And it's not like a colonial. It feels like a colonial settlement. Though it shouldn't be, because colonial times were done by the 1800s. But you know, there's a, a council of elders that run the town, headed by like William Hurt and Sigourney Weaver, and some other adults on there. Cherry Jones, I think. And they have like very like really weird and strict rules about uh, language. The color red is forbidden. Travel beyond the village is strictly forbidden and Joaquin Phoenix he uh, he asks the council of elders for permission to go into the forest and go to the towns to bring medicines to the town medicines that like may have cured the boy that just died that he was friends with but you can't go into the forest because that's where those we don't speak of live and those we don't speak of are like mysterious kind of meat-eating monster type things that hem in this village. So they deny Joaquin Phoenix. Bryce Dallas Howard is William Hurt's daughter, and she's blind, but uh, she seems to like kind of be in charge of the uh, the kids in the village. 
And when I say kids, I mean that loosely, because the uh, the young people in this movie are Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Judy Greer, like Jesse Eisenberg is probably you know He's probably like young, young enough, yeah. yeah, young enough. Uh, but yeah, these are people in their thirties, thirty, thirty-one, yeah, somewhere there, and they look it. They look it, but yeah. they are being they are acting and being treated like they are teenagers. And we can get into this later. I feel like it would have been better if they had been teenagers. Yes, I agree. Anyway, so <laughs> there's a romance between Joaquin Phoenix's character and Bryce Dallas Howard. And they get engaged. And they unknowingly upset this character, Noah, played by Adrian Brody. Also <laughs> not another young person. <laughs> and this character is peculiar. He's what... I don't know. You'd say he's challenged? special. Yeah, he's yes. a special person. Simple. I, that might be offensive. Um, yeah, mentally challenged, maybe. Mm-hmm. So uh, it didn't. I remember it not playing well when this movie was released, and it certainly doesn't play well now. <laughs> but he uh, became. He gets really jealous, and he stabs Joaquin Phoenix. And Joaquin Phoenix is—he's uh, not dead, but he his wounds are infected, and the only thing that can save him is medicine from the towns. And William Hurt's ready to go to save his daughter's fiance, but the other elders remind him of his oath that he took when they founded this village. So then he sends his daughter, his blind daughter, out with some escorts, but they abandon her halfway through their journey into the woods. And she starts out into the woods, and then we get the flashback to a scene that kind of uh, cut off abruptly earlier, where he tells her to not be afraid of those we don't speak of, because they're not real. Wait, what? Because we made them up. It was obvious from the very first scene where they showed up, like where uh, all the adults were in one place and it was just like the kids having fun and then the monsters showed up. And they look pretty cool. They like wear this red cloak and they have kind of like feathery horns coming out the back and long claws and like a skull face. It's a cool design, but it looks very much like someone wearing a costume. It doesn't look like a living creature. So right away, you know, like, this, I feel like someone's wearing that. It's probably the adults made this up to scare the kids to stay in the village. But so she knows that they're not real. She goes into the woods way, way into the woods. She's attacked by one of these creatures, but it's not really a creature. It's Adrian Brody in one of the costumes. He found, like, his parents' costume, because every adult has one of these costumes. And he falls into a pit and dies. She reaches, like, the boundary of the village, which is, like, a big, dense grass wall, a hedge, is what you would call it, I guess. That's the proper term for grass wall. (laughs) She climbs over it, and before she gets over, there's this second sort of flashback to the elders. Uh, William Hurt opens up this uh, mysterious locked box that all the adults have. And he takes it out, and it's an old photo and he talks about like the you know why we came to the village and what brought us here. But you notice the photos in color. Wait a minute. And there's a there's the uh, the front of a car. Get out of town. Photo. 
and you hear all the adults talk about how the towns are evil and every time like one of their loved ones went to the towns they were murdered but they speak in this very mannered like colonial style speech and now you're hearing the same stories but they're spoken very colloquially and modern and then you learn like oh my god like that's a photo of William Hurt from the 70s or something. And then cut back to Bryce Dallas Howard going over the hedge and a park ranger shows up and it says like Walker Wildlife Reserve on it. And she, uh, this guy, park ranger confronts her. He's like, hey, you're not supposed to be in here. It's like, you know, strictly prohibited private wildlife reserve. And she asks him for help. She has a list that William Hurt wrote of like medicines that she needs. And she has this old pocket watch that she's to give as payment. And she says her name is, uh, I forgot what her name is, but her last name is Walker, <laughs> which is the name of the wildlife reserve. And the <laughs> ranger is kind of surprised, but not nearly as surprised as he should be. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, Okay, wait here. And then he drives to the ranger shack, and his boss is there. And his boss is shot from behind. We just see the back of his head, and he's reading the newspaper. And he's reading the newspaper, which I'm sure is called The Bad News, because the articles are only the worst news stories about murder and death and disaster. They show a shot of the paper, and it really is just like, the worst possible news all in one part of the newspaper. And he's like, hey, like you never read back about that girl. What happened? And if you haven't figured out by now, it's M. Night Shyamalan in what might be my favorite of his cameos. <laughs> you only see his face reflected. The guy opens a door to get a first aid kit or yeah. to get the things. And in the reflection, you see his, his face. face. And that's it. So you see, you see the back of his head, his voice, and his face. But... You can totally recognize it. Yes, totally recognizable. Right. You definitely yeah. recognize the one not white person in this cast <laughs> of colonial white people. <laughs> and so he. No, we don't even see the ranger take her the medicines. It's just uh, cut back to uh, Sigourney Weaver attending to Walking Phoenix because uh, she's his son, or he's her son. And then there's commotion in the village. And Jesse Eisenberg, I think it's Jesse Eisenberg, runs up and it's like, uh, yeah, Ivy has returned, you know, from the towns with medicines. And she uh, was attacked by one of those we don't speak of. And she killed it. And the parents of uh, Adrian Brody's characters burst into tears at that point. And William Hurt says, his, his sacrifice has made our way of life possible. Our village will continue now. And then uh, she comes in and tells Joaquin Phoenix, like, I'm here, I'm here. And then movie ends. The end. The end. There you go. That's it. The village. It was slower <laughs> than my synopsis. I'm very sorry. <laughs> that, a lot happens in that movie. That was a long synopsis. Yeah. For a movie where nothing happens, that was, that was a lot that yeah. happened. So, yeah, the village. Um, so we can so get the specifics. <laughs> So, like, what, so, I remember, so I had only seen this movie once before watching this for the podcast. Uh, I was still, like, I did not like 
how science ended, but like the first half, so I was like, the village, let's do this. And I went and I saw it on opening day with some friends. And I believe it was like 15 minutes in, I turned to my friend and said, I, I bet the villagers are the monsters. I don't think there's any monsters in this movie. Sure enough, that was true. And then about halfway through the movie, I was like, I bet it's like modern times, and it's like not really really know, old times. So I predicted both. It's the first time where you called both. I of called them? both of them. I mean, the first one, within the first fifty minutes, the first one is uh, very easy to figure out. And I feel like Chamalan made this film very aware of the fact that he was the twist guy, and everyone was expecting a twist. Yeah. So he put this really easy to figure out twist there <clears throat> to cover the real twist coming later in the movie. Though the, the third twist that we didn't talk about, which actually was a surprise, was when Walking Phoenix gets stabbed. Because you're watching the movie mm-hmm. thinking, oh, this is about him, and he's going to go off and do something. And then halfway through, you're like, oh, wait, no, like he might die now. Oh, instead, it's going to be his blind, you know, fiance. Instead, like, like she's in the movie kind of equal to him at that point. Mm-hmm. And then the movie's like, no, it's about her. And you're like, oh, the movie's about her. Okay. And that was a genuine surprise. And I really like that scene when he gets stabbed. I think that's the best scene in the movie. The it way is, it's crafted yes, and shot absolutely. is really, really effective and really good where uh, Adrian Brody's character walks up and they kind of look at each other. And you don't hear a sound because usually in movies when somebody gets stabbed, there's a made-up movie sound of a, you know, like a sound or something, even though in real life it would be pretty quiet. And it is. And so in the, in the movie, then there's like the two shot and then looking at each other. And it's got that kind of Jonathan Demi eyes looking. Yeah, extreme close-ups. And, yes. then, and then you have the shot of him looking down and seeing the knife pull all the way out. And it's very shocking. And it's very good. Yes. Like, I really like that scene quite a bit. And that is like classic Shyamalan. I think that scene is like very much like him. Because he really understands film language like very well. Which, like, if sadly, most Hollywood directors now don't where you can tell a movie and a story and a moment and emotions with the images. And that scene is like classic that. Yeah, the scene goes silent. No talking, you're just, you're getting it. Like you can tell that he's a director who storyboards and actually thinks about what you're going to see. And that, I love that scene. (laughs) That scene's really good. That's probably my favorite (laughs) scene of the movie. Yeah, mine, mine too. I really like it a lot. Anyway, so the first time I saw it, predicted both things. And when it was done... I was very upset in the same way that I don't care for the usual suspects. And I hate movies where it doesn't make, where like then it doesn't really matter to me. Like I just mm-hmm. feel like definitely with, I mean, not as much as usual suspects. Cause like that, at least to me is the equivalent of it's all the dream. Whereas this one, it's not that, but it's like, Hey, I want to pay money to see a horror movie. I want to get scared. And you're telling me there aren't any monsters at all, <laughs> like uh, that's bullshit. I want my money back. Yeah, this I get one like this movie. I believe is in our horror section. Yes, it is in our horror because section. you have to put it there, or else you give away the twist. Because if you went by logically what the movie's about, this would just be in the drama section, and you'd be like, "Why well, is the village in the drama?" I thought it was about a bunch of monsters. So you have to put it in the horror section, even though it is not at all. I feel a horror film. No, it is not. It is a. Uh, it is a drama. It's trying to be a character-driven drama, except I don't feel like any of these characters are very well fleshed out. None, none of them. <laughs> I didn't feel very... I didn't feel, like, uh, emotions for many of these characters, except, like, maybe for Bryce Dallas Howard when she begins her journey. But 
Like a lot of these characters, like it's one note performances. By great actors. By the greatest actors. Oscar nominated, Oscar winning actors. Like the whole cast is only great. It's an amazing cast. It's Joaquin Phoenix, Bryce Dallas Howard, Adrian Brody. Uh, You've got William Hurt, Sigourney Weaver. There's Cherry Jones, Brendan Gleeson, young Jesse Eisenberg, young Michael Pitt, and uh, Judy Greer. One of my, then you my also, favorite actors. Then you have Guy from Just Weed and Things. I forget his name. He's in it. Yes. He's, and then you have, oh, what's his name? The guy from Wild at Heart who's in the trailer park. He's so much. And he's, we'll later see him in The Happening talking about hot dogs. I think his oh. name is like Frank Collison. Collision. Oh, is that I right? Is that I, his name? I cannot remember. He's the weird looking guy. I think he's the doctor in this or something. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he in Wild and Hard, he's he's the one who uh, swears a bunch in the trailer park when they meet Willem. So a cavalcade of stars, if yeah. you will, uh, like, like really really good people. I feel uh, like the language uh, of this film, because it's trying to be this very, you know, it, it it's uh, has a very period style of dialogue. That the way yeah. that dialogue is written, there's not a lot of room for people to emote. Because it's about a very like puritanical, cold group yeah. of people, and there are jokes in this movie that don't land because the whole movie feels so serious and somber. And one of the few times anyone does emote is when Judy Gre- after Judy Greer proposes, uh, she asks Joaquin Phoenix to marry her, and he's not interested. <laughs> and he's not interested. I like that scene. I like the way it's shot. So what crazy man would turn down Judy Greer? That's just nuts. that's what I that's what I think. <laughs> that's, that's what I've thought since Jawbreaker. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's standing in a doorway and she's kept in a wide shot, and you just see like Joaquin Phoenix like from the chest down, and I felt like that was done because to hide how tall Judy Greer is, because she's five eleven already, and then all these women are wearing heeled boots. Like, in long shots, she's almost as tall as William Hurt, who has to be, like, over six feet. So she's kept, like, in the distance. And I like the way that was framed. She stayed in the doorway. <clears throat> and then she, you know, com- uh, she confesses her love for Joaquin Phoenix and just kind of stares blankly at her and then smash cut to her on the bed crying. And it's one of the few kind of humorous moments in the movie. And it's one of the few moments where someone shows this outburst of emotion. So when you first saw this movie, did you like it? I was like on the fence of this movie. Like I felt it was well made, like well crafted, but I was not very uh, satisfied with the, with the twists and with the, with the way I felt when I left the movie, I was like, Signs was one of my favorite movies of that year. So I was so excited to see The Village. It came out while I was on family vacation, and I really wanted to see it. And it was playing at Universal City Walk in, uh, in Orlando, where my family was on vacation. But we didn't have time to just go see a movie. Mm-hmm. So I had to see it when we got back. And I was, I was like, I thought, this is okay. This is okay. It's not good. But, hey, everyone makes an okay movie every now and then. This is his, like, not-as-good film. So I wasn't (laughs) very disappointed by it. I was kind of let down. But I wasn't, like, unhappy. I hadn't jumped the Shyamalan ship yet. 
Yeah, I feel like I feel once the movie revealed that the monsters were not real, I feel like I feel like it lost me. Like I think like that I think they should have shown the other twist first. Well, they shouldn't even have the twist. Like, they should have just been monsters. Like they could have lived now in these weird mystical woods I mean, of Philadelphia, like outside Philadelphia. Or how much how cool would like, that have been? If like they they actually just monsters. be the commit to it and actually be like, you know what? This is a movie. This is fantasy. There are monsters living in the woods. Like, fuck it. And I think once there's like, oh, there's no monsters, because that's like all the tension in the first uh, half of the movie is it like, oh, there's these monsters, there's these things. And then once it's like, oh, no, there isn't, then it's completely not the scared. You're not scared anymore. Yeah, and you're not. Because you're like, okay, so just people. So then even when the one shows up hunting Bryce Dallas Howard, you're like, well, wait a minute. We know it's not real. So then what, what and there, is it? There are movies where, like, uh, you know, something supernatural is presented. You find out it's not real. But then there are hints that maybe it was real. Like movies about Santa Claus, you know, that end with, like, oh, wait, I didn't buy him that present. But I didn't buy him that present. So there's, like, still the kind of promise of yeah. the supernatural. This is the only Shyamalan, well, it's the first Shyamalan film with absolutely nothing supernatural in it. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yes. And the twist, wow. yeah. instead of adding... It's the only Shyamalan movie not counting his... Actually, no, the other, the early ones also had supernatural yeah. stuff in it. God was in Wide Awake, and then he like had that encounter with ghost his ghost or whatever. father. Yeah. But the twist in this movie, both twists, <clears throat> excuse me, both twists, they take away from what the movie has already set up. Yeah. They don't give you anything. They take away the monsters, and then they take away... The village. Yeah. And on top of that, the twists don't enhance the movie. They make it like, worse. They lessen it. Like, if, how great it would have been if the movie really was no twists at all? And, like, your <coughs> Shyamalan was just like, you know what? I just want to make a good, scary movie. You have it take place in the 1800s. You have there actually be monsters. And that's the movie. Like, wouldn't that be great? Like, what if she actually had to go through the woods and thwart these monsters and go to some old village? It's an 1800s type of town. Because they still recognize there's other people in the world and other villages. Yeah. It doesn't have to be in modern times. And then she works her way back. Like, how cool would that be if it was that? Like, and it was just, like, made with the confidence of, like, I just want to make a good, scary movie that takes place a long time ago. Which is what that movie The Witch is, which ended up being very popular. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, here's a movie that takes place a long time ago with this archaic kind of dialogue and this way of living and it's going to be scary, and it's a horror movie. Done, you know. And here's your movie. And and this could have that movie that. is very good. And that movie offers the supernatural, and it also offers you know it could all be in their heads or whatever. Because when you have all these twists happen, and you take away all these elements that you think it is, then all you have is like oh, so it's just like a nine eleven allegory type movie thing, where it's like oh, the early aughts are so traumatic for everybody. Like, wouldn't it be great that this idea that you can live away from all, this terrible world that we live in? We could all just go just back like, go to back. a simpler time and so the, like, when America was great. Like, I don't know if you want to get into this yet, because I think this is going to end up being a long conversation of, like, the holes that are in this, the logic of this movie. Like, do you want to go into that now, or do you have other things to talk about first? Because um, I got some issues with the, the, the twists of this film. I, Deep issues that have kept me from enjoying this movie for, you know, the last 13 years. 
I guess um, <laughs> I would just like to mention that the the violin based score was performed by Hilary Hahn. It's very good. It's very good. It's very haunting, like really. It is. Uh, She's an amazing great. violinist. Yeah. I had a big crush on her in college, and I, I have some <laughs> of her albums. I, I have uh, Beethoven, uh, her playing my favorite Beethoven concerto for Did you know her orchestra. before this, or was it this movie made? No. After this, when I started working in the classical department at Tower Records, and then, like, in looking up her background, I found out she played on, uh, on The Village. Was that the first department to go in Tower Records? No, it was, like, it was classical. It was the was last to department to go. Really? The classical department. I guess it makes sense because like the kids aren't downloading classical music. You're no, still get older and the classical, classical CDs, music. an opera, see, a CD of an opera costs fifty dollars base. Like the Damn. cheapest opera was fifty dollars, and these adults with real jobs would pay like nothing. And it was this, the uh, department in the Tower Records on 68th and Broadway in Manhattan, just the flagship store. It was bigger than most music stores. And we had like lots of classical uh, composers and performers come in. I've, uh, I've uh, met Itzhak Perlman. Nice. I met Simon Rattle and the, I can't remember their names, but they were in a uh, Met production of La Traviata. I also met uh, Rudy Giuliani there. Oh, wow. Was he buying opera or classical music? He was, and he wanted to buy this guide, uh, like, guide to the opera season. It was sealed in plastic, and he wanted to open it up. And it was, like, my, like, you know, second week, and I wasn't sure if it was okay, but it was really... But he was the mayor! (laughs) It was Rudy Giuliani! And, like, oh, my God. Uh, You know, like, and I said, like, oh, I don't know. Like, you should, like, ask my supervisor... And so I sent him. I sent him away to ask my supervisor. I, I bossed him around technically. I shook his hand, and I was like, "If that man ever runs for president, I'll vote for him." And then he did, and I was like, "No, no, no, I cannot." I know I said I would, but it's not going to happen. Man, he declined the mayor from opening up. The, or he was the governor. No, he's the mayor. Uh, he was just the mayor. The mayor. Let yeah. the mayor open up the guide. Uh, so I want to mention that. About my past, and also Roger Deakins shot this movie. Yes, the legendary Roger Deakins, who worked with the Cohen brothers and like all their good, he did all their good stuff, yes, and all that good stuff. I want to mention though, as great as he is, gosh, the slow motion in this movie is terrible. The slow motion, it, the, is it, it's awful. like it's like television, pre-television being good slow motion, like pre-Sopranos, like this is like mid nineties. It like, this, this is like Fox ten p.m. not. A Chris Carter show, but subpar Chris Carter slow motion, where you're just like Ooh, harsh realm. God, this is some harsh realm slow motion. We're <laughs> like, oh gosh, this is bad. Like this is so bad. The like slow, it just looks terrible. They use slow motion too much. They use it way it too much. It does though. not. It does not enhance the tension or suspense Ooh. of those moments. And it looks like it was not filmed in slow motion, but the slow motion was added digitally afterwards. They're like, oh, let's make it slow motion. And oh, it looks so bad. It's so cheesy. It's so bad. Wait, wasn't the first round Chris Carter? Uh, that was. That was his third <laughs> show. But it was. Uh, it was post millennium. It was post millennium. That's uh. See, that's how you know it's maybe not one of his best shows. Uh, millennium's good. But anyway, it's great. bad. It's that that part, the, especially the shot where it's the Adrian Brody as the monster grabbing her before mm-hmm. he falls into the pit, and it's like really choppy, bad. 
like really bad slow motion. Like it really like looks like it was just like made by a high school student. It's such a slow paced like movie so already. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> so that's so that's okay. Done. Let's get into the holes of this movie. Yes. This is like, and so this is a like I'm one of those people because maybe my brain is broken where I can't help but overthink a movie while I'm watching it. And especially if you're going to tell me before I see a movie, there's going to be a mystery and a twist. I'm going to I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to ruin my good time, and I'm going to try to figure out what watching the movie to be like. Me okay, too. filmmaker. I accept this challenge. I'm going to see if I can figure this out. Yeah, I figured out both twists, uh, and then once it was revealed, I, I, I hate it when I expect this dumb twist and then it ends up being true. It's always fun where I think there's a twist and then it ends up actually twisting me, and I'm like, oh, I was not the obvious thing that I thought it was. But uh, so the problem with these twists, let's just go into both of them, okay? Because like, so the twist in signs, when we talk about signs, there's a big hole in the whole water issue. Yeah, we talked about that. But I feel this one has an even more like you can be like, oh, in this made up world, the aliens, there's a thing what I didn't know, whatever. Okay, but there's some big problems with this twist. Okay, let's just talk about first the monster twist. Yes. All right. Already, it's a problem that there's no monsters. We already talked about that. That it like, ruins. That does the movie's not scary anymore. So this whole idea of like you have these fake monsters that these elders are pretending to be, and so when they do, when someone's getting antsy to want to walk in the woods, like one of them dresses up in a costume, the scary buddy, back into afraid to leave the town. Um, <clears throat> the problem with that is eventually. You're, the elders will die, and you're going to have to pass that information to somebody else. And it can't just be one person. Like, it has to be more than one person, because there's always going to be this shed that is locked that everyone's going to wonder what the hell's in that shed, which is where all the costumes are. And just to have, I feel like, the extent of this uh, fake-out for this whole town, like, you really need a multitude of people. And they, the movie does go into William Hurt being like, I really thought... Yeah, he really thought that Bryce Dallas Howard and Joaquin Phoenix were the ones to trust his information, which is ludicrous because they're the two people who want to leave the most, especially Joaquin Phoenix. Like he, I feel like not just to help people, but I feel he really has a curiosity to want to leave the town mm-hmm. and to like see what's out there. So if you tell back, backtrack, so you need to tell people that there's these fake things. If you have these people who aren't part of the group that made up this town and made up this thing and you tell them this thing is fake to me that's like an invitation to make them leave the town like of course they're going to leave the town then if they know that there's nothing out there that's bad and you've for 20 years you've been lied to it's like santa claus it's like Oh, spoiler alert! There's no Santa Claus uh, if you're listening. But uh, when you find out this, so when you find out there's no Santa Claus, there's that moment of like, oh man, that sucks. But then you're like, wait a minute, it's my parents. Wait a minute. So that means every time I mention to my parents what I want, I'll get it because they're the ones who get it for me. Wait a minute. That means when I'm an adult, I can just buy for myself whatever I want for Christmas or any time of the year because there's no Santa Claus. It's only up to us to give us what I want. And so if you're Curious about the world, which you will be, because any human being would be curious about the... Like, from the moment you're a child, you wonder what's beyond the next thing. Because when you're a kid, your world is very small. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, I'm allowed to walk down the street to school. Oh, as I'm a little bit older, I'm allowed to have a car and I can drive downtown. Oh, now I'm old enough to, like, what? Get 
a plane ticket on my own and fly anywhere and yeah. explore whatever. Like it's just part of human nature to be curious and to go out in the world. That's how the world exists. That's how we have Christopher Columbus and, you know, like people going over land bridges and like going through this culture and that and like figuring out what else is out there. Like people landing on the moon is because you want to know about the unknown and you want to be, you're curious about it. So once you learn that it's all made up, that it's all a lie and your generation wasn't part of these scaredy cats who couldn't deal with society, you're just, the, the society is going to fail. Like it's going to crumble and all these people are going to want to leave and go out and do something. Uh, the people, definitely, the people who know that it's made up. So, like, say, even if you tell only two people, those two people will definitely go on a vacation and figure out what the hell's out there, without a doubt. No, no doubt in my mind. Even if you're blind, you're gonna want to see what else is out in the world. You're just gonna be bored being home for the whole your whole life, knowing there's knowing there's something out there and not trying to like find that out. Like that's a problem. Like, they, like they didn't like really think that. They really thought this would last, and actually, doesn't make sense that it even lasted as long as it did. Because I feel like once you have people in their thirties who aren't part of the original people, made well, yeah, it, like they're gonna leave town. They're gonna like, try to figure it out. And this is something that doesn't really get addressed in the film, and it like doesn't matter to the actual plot of the film. But I thought about it. It was like, okay, so there's uh, one wedding in the film. Judy Greer finds love with someone else, and they get married. And then Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, they get engaged and they're going to get married. Are they, where are they going to live? Like, are they going to live in their parents' houses or are they going to move into their own house? Well, where would they in this village with limited space? Like the population is just going to grow. Mm -hmm. Like, are they going to make a new house on this unused part of the village but then, you know, the next generation, they have to build more houses. Yeah. Anyone who's basically going to have to cut down the woods to make Anyone who's played SimCity knows that no town gets smaller, it only gets bigger. So eventually <laughs> you're going to have to expand into these woods. Like, as more people have babies and society is growing. And this isn't actually the 1800s, so people aren't getting, like, weird diseases. Like, people are dying of things because there's not the medication. But it still is in a modern world. Like, there still is, like you're going to be fine and you're going to keep making babies. You're going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it just doesn't like that is to me a big problem with the movie is like expecting it would last beyond the core group of people, especially walking. Why would you think walking Phoenix would be the one trusted for the secret? He really wants to leave the most. He really wants to go out there more than anybody to the point where he even sneaks into the woods to kind of like feel it out. And then he gets scared back because he hears a thing. Um, so that's insane. <laughs> That's insane. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And it's like you're not you're not factoring in that all society there's always the curious, there's always the explorers. Or there's people who want to fight. There's brave people that will call, like why wouldn't someone then start an army or a group of soldiers and be like, fine, we're gonna fight these monsters. Like the earliest cavemen weren't so scared of bears that we all just died in the cave. We eventually went beyond that. Because we were like, oh, we'll build weapons, we'll figure something out. And yeah, they want to with the 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 claw of a bear. <laughs> yeah, like I killed that bear. Yeah, and you just you go out in the world and you do it. You have a team of people with spears. And you figure out. I know the whole point is they want this peaceful world, and that's why the color red is forbidden because it's blood. But it's like there will be somebody to contradict that always. And the fact that this has been going on since the seventies is completely not believable at all. There'd be a few people. Or just the teenagers don't like to listen to their parents or follow rules. Like, why wouldn't they 
sneak off on a night and where they weren't, where the people, adults didn't know and they couldn't dress up in these costumes. Like, is there a guy whose job is every night to be in the costume waiting in case someone walks in the woods? But then when they notice, like, oh, that guy who's never around, he's the monster. There is a nightly watch, like, yeah. up in, a, up in a, what in Austin we would call a moon tower, mm-hmm. uh, to, like, watch out for the monsters and sound the alarm when the monsters do show up. And they do show up because the parents dress in the costume yeah. and scare the kids. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, the kids, they're very, like, obedient and respectful to their uh, elders. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. But... One thing that occurred to me about this settlement, like they're speaking old timey speak, uh, you know, like in the crucible mm-hmm. where religion is a huge part of uh, early colonial settlements. Mm-hmm. And there is does not seem to be a religion or a theological ethos to this village other than red is forbidden. Those we don't speak of live in the woods. Don't go past the woods. So, I, like, they started this communal cult, essentially, based on nothing, really. And so then this goes into the second twist, which is, I think, a, the bigger problem of the movie. So you're telling me these... So, so number one, what a bad counselor uh, William Hurt is to just tell all of his patients, you know what, give up hope, give up trying to do better in your life. Let's just all quit and cowardly run into the woods and hide away from all our problems. Like, instead of me trying to make you, like, kind of live in society and learn that life is okay and to move on through your pain, instead we're just going to run away and hide from it and just pretend it doesn't exist and have a society where there is no problems. That's bullshit. Like, that's a ter- like that guy is a terrible, he's bad at his job to convince people to do that. <laughs> instead of actually helping them through therapy to be better, <laughs> he's just like, no, just all run away and pretend... And they actually do pretend it's the 1800s based on that gravestone. Yes. They actually are saying, no, no, this is the 1800s. Yeah, it's <laughs> three, three years away from the 20th century. <laughs> so then, what? that's weird. Why couldn't they just be like Amish, where it's like, you know what, let's live a simpler life away from technology, away from the city, away from drugs and alcohol, and live this kind of life in the woods. And the Amish, they would know. William Hurt wouldn't have known about the Amish. Of course, yeah. <laughs> And the thing about the Amish, though, is they, they even get to go into town. Like, you'll see an Amish person in the city walking around occasionally. They sell their you awesome know, furniture. Their furniture, butter, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and they live a very, you know, uh, you know, life of passive resistance, and they, they're very religious. No, like, but, like, yeah, it's a, religi- it's a religious-based society. So why couldn't they just do that? But instead they're like, no, no, we're going to basically – we're going to be, like, in a pioneer farm type thing – but forever. Like, we're going to be the equivalent of a Renaissance fair, but every day of our lives, or we're going to pretend it is the 1800s, which, of course, means only white people in the village. So, like, are they all racist then? Or, like, we want to be safe means nobody other than white can live here. So, no black people, no Hispanic people, no Asian people. That's, we will only pretend the culture is only Anglo Saxon. Whiteies. That's a very, very <laughs> like, interesting, and I have not thought of that. But it is curious. <laughs> but it's true, right? The, there, there's nobody that built you as well. White. They all experienced violence, uh, violence to their loved ones in like the in the cities. They say the towns, but the cities. Yeah. And when like the phrase "inner city" does not have positive connotations to it, and uh, there are certain like images and certain people like. 
that, you're not thinking uh, inner city. You're not thinking white people just hanging yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. like through like by uh, you know by hook or by crook, whether it's right or wrong. Like that's what the words <laughs> inner city conjure up. So it's like these people they experience violence in let's say the city, the inner city, uh, done to them by who? Possibly other white people, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> and so the, this is basically a movie about a group of racists who are like, you know, I'm so scared of people aren't white. They are the, the, the they are the people do bad. We will start our own all white society in the woods away from everybody else, and we will live peacefully forever. That's that's <laughs> God. I had not thought of that because there all. are no because like the thing is like this movie is about people from the 70s starting to think why couldn't there have been. Uh, African Americans or Hispanic people who also were sad with what happened in their lives and want to have this peaceful sight in the woods. But because you would then destroy the facade that is the olden days. But it's not even the olden days, it's 1890. Which doesn't make sense because like, the crucible takes place in the 1600s. Yeah. And the, the way they are living feels like the 1600s. And you watch the movie, it, it feels like crucible 1600s. Like, it absolutely way, does. Like original and colonies hats, where living. The hats feel like, all wrong. So why would this be late, late 1800s? Like, this is, like, in late 1800s, like, places are much bigger than, like, I'm no, sure there are towns in the country in late 1800s that were small like this. Like, I'm sure, like, like Pflugerville, where I'm at now, wasn't, wasn't a bustling place, of like course. Like, gas lights were but, a thing. Electric lights were starting to be a thing. <laughs> but, so these racists want to start this society. Uh, oh, so the, that's a problem. But then the part that they're talking this way, so then they all had to learn how to talk this way. So then it's just so much work. So it's like, okay, we're going to go and have this all-white society in the woods. We're going to pretend it's the 1800s. We're going to pretend it's 1860. We're going to start at 1860. So then by the time our kids are 30, it's later than that. And so we're all going to learn how to talk this way. Because they, they had to, because they're all talking in this weird you know, old way of talking. And so they had to all decide, like, we're going to talk this way for some reason, which doesn't make any sense. Like, you can, if you just, because they don't want to swear, you could just not swear. Like, you just don't swear. So that is weird. Like, they had to, to make up this whole thing. And then not only is it racist, but then you have to have this whole thing of, still the thing of, like, women make us the food, and they build, make the clothes. And it's like, you're going so backwards from where they started in the 70s. Like going so far back into this like terrible place where it wasn't better. Like to me, it's the equivalent of when people say like "Make America Great Again." When was America Great Again? Like when we had slaves, when like gay people didn't have rights, when women couldn't vote. Like what does it even mean? So they go further back, like pre-suffrage, like pre-civil rights, and that's to you the better place to live in. That is some racist, hateful, prejudiced bullshit. Uh, it occurred to me with, with that and with the medicine. This is like the opposite of the film uh, Midnight in Paris, where you know Owen Wilson goes back to the time he romanticizes about the Paris in the twenties. Yeah, and he has fun there. And then uh, him and uh, the French lady Marion Cotillard, they go back even further to La Belle Epoque at the, you know the nineteen hundreds, like turn of the century. And Owen Wilson at this point has decided, like, no, you know, like, it was fun to, like, because she wants to stay there. It's like, no, it was fun to, like, play around in this, but, uh, I mean, they weren't really a better time. You know, you got to live your life now in the present and take the good with the bad and all that. And so he stay, you know, he goes back to modern day. Wow, I'm still, like, kind of blown away by the uh, the race angle. 
which I feel like there has to be just like an oversight on Shyamalan's part. <laughs> I think it was just I mean, like I think it was just like oh to have this be believably from a long time ago. Well, like it, it has to all be six, like, like when you think of Puritans, it's white people. It's white people because they all came from England, England where yeah. there was all white people. Like the pilgrims so were all white. If it was yeah. like 1600s, or if there just wasn't a fucking year, then like okay. That would have been believable, but yes, I was a constant as I am often the the only uh, non-white person in the room. <laughs> I was very conscious watching this movie, as I am like not even when I was watching like The Sixth Sense or like other just other movies that I'm watching a village where only people are white, and knowing the twist that like it's actually present day, like. Yeah, like why aren't there? People? Well, you're, if you're why shutting yourself people? out from all culture, like the great thing about America is that it's a melting pot of all cultures. So you get everybody's you know viewpoint and everybody's type of food and clothing and belief and everything. You know, like you get a mix. So if you're like, fuck it, the big city's dangerous. Like people get raped and murdered. Like that makes me sad. We're gonna go to the woods. Then you're no different than the Unabomber. Like you're just like some white racist white person who's like. So scared of everything, you just gotta hide away and just be by yourself. And you're you're then shutting off the idea of anyone else's thoughts or any other type of thing that can make your life more interesting yeah. or better. And not to say that any of this was conscious on Shyamalan's part. Uh, it is curious now watching it through the lens of 2017 with all that has happened between 2004, 2003 when they were shooting this movie, and now. <clears throat> but. It's uh, a a curious like <laughs> uh, it's a it's a curious perspective <laughs> on the movie. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. If it was set in the eighteen hundreds, or like no, if it was set in like the sixteen hundreds, like it's fine. You wouldn't have get away with the race. So you still have Native Americans, probably. Yeah, unless those are the people they're afraid of. Like, oh, don't go to the woods. That's where the Native Americans will get you. And oh god, it's like I guess maybe I guess this would have to take it back to uh, September 11th, when like oh no, like like the most awful thing ever has happened. Wouldn't it be great to go back to the the simpler time when this thing didn't happen? And the movie, you're right. Like w- even without the uh, the racial uh, perspective on this film. It is not good what these adults have done. <laughs> it is not good, but the film doesn't really judge no. them as such. And it doesn't even present it as like, well, you can judge as it, to what they've done or not. It's not because this movie ostensibly is a horror thriller, and that's what its main concern is. So there are these philosophical uh, you know, ideas in there to ponder but the movie isn't really concerned with that. The way Signs was concerned with the matter of whether, you know, God exists, like purpose yeah. exists or not, yeah. or whether, you know, purpose or like superpowers exist or not in Unbreakable. Those were, uh, those themes were important to the characters in the movie. Yeah. And these themes are not really important to the characters or the plot of this movie. Yeah. So if they weren't there, I, I was going to say if they weren't there, maybe you could enjoy this as just a, uh, you know, a, uh, a superficial horror thriller. But you couldn't even because of other problems with the film. 
because of other <laughs> pacing and character problems. I feel like the reveals in the movie, I feel like both of them came way too soon. Yeah. So... Because the best thing about a twist is you really do save it for the very end. You know, like, I think because if you really reveal it too early, then you check out. Then you start second-guessing the whole movie. And you start picking yeah. apart while you watch so it. So the first twist comes, uh, like, William Hurt has already decided not to go into the towns on his own. And he's taking Bryce Dallas Howard to the shed that we never visit or whatever. Yeah. Then it cuts to like her, you know, going into the woods. And then it cuts back to the scene of him taking her inside the shed and telling her like, not like no matter what happens, like you can't scream. And she like reaches her hand out and feels the costume of, you know, these monsters. And then she finds out that they're not real. And then they're shot like, and then I think, the, the her escorts abandon her. Yeah, I don't know if it's before or after that, but then she's alone in the woods, and the only thing at that point to like you know make suspense is there's a blind woman alone in the woods because there's no monsters that are going to hurt her, and even and it would like it is uh, superficially a good shot of you know she's like alone and she's scared and she's kind of lost. And the camera is like, uh, it's a bird's eye view, and it pans up, and she's in this little uh, clearing, and she's surrounded by these red flowers, you know, the forbidden color. And you're like, oh, that, wait, that doesn't mean anything, because the monsters aren't real. It's not going to attract the monsters. So, like, that reveal came too soon. If it came after that moment, if you had worked to work to make sure that we thought these monsters were real and you showed me that shot. I've been like, oh my And it God. seems too easy for her for a blind, like me not being blind, having to walk through the woods and find the town would be difficult and I would run into, I would probably die because like, I don't know how to go through the woods. So the fact that like in this movie, this blind lady, it just seems so easy for her to get to exactly where she needs to be even if she can't see anything is insane. And it's crazy that everybody in the movie is totally fine with like, oh yeah, to send the blind lady out, it'll work out. Yeah. Like, why would that ever happen? And like, I know that they, the point of it is like, oh, when she's blind, she won't see the car, she won't see the monitor thing, she'll hear it, but maybe she's too dumb to know that like, that is like a sound yeah. of an engine or know what that is. But it's like, you're still, you're sending a blind person out in the woods. There was, like, the, 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 the direction's really vague. William Hart is like, Listen for the river or whatever, the like the brook, and then follow that down, and then you'll hit like a road, and then take a right of the road, and then you're there. But it's like, but this lady's blind. Like, you could be walking, you think you're walking straight, but you're like, when you're not blind, when you think you're walking straight, you end up not walking well, straight. Well, like if and she, like, if once she like, goes over the hedge. <laughs> And, like, what if that guy wasn't there in his truck? Yeah. Like, what if the guy wasn't driving the blind? Like, How okay, let's go this way. And nobody talked to her. What if everyone was on their lunch break and she just walks and walks and walks and walks and walks? And, like, if I was driving down the road and saw a lady walking, I wouldn't stop. I wouldn't try to talk to her. I'd just be like, oh, whatever. Some lady's walking around. Like, And so that's crazy that the dad is like, yeah, send the blind lady out. And it's yeah. crazy those two guys are like, you're on your own, lady. Goodbye. Like, really? And then, and then there's not a point of panic when those guys return to town and say, oh, yeah, we sent her out. 
Or um, that would have been better. There had been a scene of be like, wait, what? She's blind. What are you doing? Uh, and crazy. so the second twist. The other problem I have is that the second twist also comes too soon. Bryce Dallas Howard is about to go over the hedge and into the modern world, and but then it cuts to William Hurt like looking at the picture. So wouldn't it be better if he was walking and then a car drove? Yes. Up and you're like, wait, wouldn't what the fuck is better? This? Yeah. If it was a tight shot of her and then she heard this like just this roar, this strange yeah. roaring, rumbling car. noise with yeah. like it sounds like it's crushing rocks. Yeah. And then it stops right in front of her, and there are strange sounds, and then yeah. she thinks she hears footprints, and then a voice uh, says something to her, and then the camera switches around, and you see a park ranger standing in front of a car. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been yeah. much better? It's not the better. Monday morning quarterback, this thing, but I like, <laughs> come on, like that seems like the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I like. I really like the parts of the movie when William Hurt, when you can, like, this is how, like, this is, I was able to predict it when I was watching it, and then it's fun to watch it again knowing it's ways. But when you know that the elders are the monster, and then when Adrian, when Noah is, like, fucking with them, and he's still, the costumes running around, he's, like, throwing the meat around, and then you have that moment where William Hurt is, like, wait a minute, like, I know it's us, but we didn't do this, so what is this? And so there's parts where him and the elders are kind of, like, we didn't do this, so there is there a monster? Like this is weird, and and like wouldn't that have been a good movie if these people had this made up thing, but then there really were monsters? Like that would be yeah, fun. that would be fun. Or it's just like oh yeah, we made and, this thing. Oh shit, but there is a real thing. Uh, like that could be fun. That I have here. Funny. Wouldn't it have been better if it was? I mean, how would this movie have been if it had been more from the adults' point of view, or if we knew the big twist earlier that? Uh, or we knew like the monsters weren't real twist right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so then, yeah, when dead animals start showing up and the adults, they're having these uh, meetings, but they're all, even though they're all together, you know, it's like how uh, in the dark Knight movies, Batman still talks like this, even when he's alone. <laughs> like when Catwoman like disappears on him, he says, so that's what that feels like. Even though he's by himself, he doesn't have to do the Batman voice anymore. Like they're all together, they all know the secret, but they're still they're still putting on the charade. Yeah. Like Brendan Gleeson says at one point, like you know, those we don't speak of do not enter our village for no reason. Meaning, why? What's going on? Why did one of you like murder this. this animal and leave it in front of the the school building? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it have been better if they had these secret conversations? And what if there was tension between the adults and there's starting to be some jacuzzing? And wouldn't that be fun of to be like, was it you? Was it you? And they start like being suspicious and of each other. And you find one of their kids. Or it's a real monster. And you're like, wait a minute, we pretend it's a monster. And then there really is a monster. Like, wouldn't that be exciting? So you have a movie that the end is not scary. That's not a horror. Like, I don't understand how this movie could be watched again. Like, watching it again was interesting for this podcast to talk about it but just as a regular person like why would you buy this movie and own it and be like i'm gonna watch it again because i know all these things are real so then what are you getting out of this movie i bought this movie <laughs> and i owned it and i don't think i watched it again yeah i bought it just because everyone was hating on the village so much 
that wanted to say screw you to everybody by paying money again for the village. I don't know how it makes sense, but I did this with a lot of movies in college because I didn't have any, you know, overhead or bills or anything. So I, I had only disposable income. Biden. This is why I also own the film Elephant for a while. <laughs> You'll never rewatch that movie. I have that movie's good. But you will never watch I have movie again. I've sold both of those movies to Half Price Blitz many, many years ago. Good for you. <laughs> but uh, so knowing, you know a twist is good when it makes the movie better, it enhances what you've just seen, and it enhances a second viewing of the movie. Yeah. So knowing Bruce Willis is dead at the end of Sixth Sense, or that he's a superhero and unbreakable. Doesn't ruin the movie. Or that, uh, you know, or, or knowing the twist in The Prestige. It doesn't ruin the movies. It makes it better. And you watch it now from this new perspective. And these scenes, they have new meaning to them. They have a double meaning. They have the text and then the subtext of what's going on. And that doesn't happen with The Village. Knowing the twist to these to this movie doesn't enhance the film. It, it, it's it's going to make it less scary. It makes it less scary. And then less interesting because you already know. Like if you know it's the modern age and you're watching it, what does that add to it? Why couldn't one of these elders just sneak out to the town, which isn't fucking far away? I just feel like all human beings, look at the Catholic Church, if you would. They have some rules they're supposed to follow and some things they're supposed to do, and sometimes they slip away from that and do very bad things. Uh, and these are people who are supposed to be speaking like for the word of God, why wouldn't someone in this village be like, you know what, I really want to have sex with a prostitute, or I really want to have an ice cream cone. Those people would sneak away, and they would be like, I really want a beer. <laughs> they would go off, and they would do it. Like in that movie. Uh, that as movie as it's like, if it's only half a day to get to like the street, yeah. you could do it. If you'd no. be like, oh, fuck it, like, I'm bored. And then what if like, it could, like, William Hurt could have gone himself, and then they'd be like, oh, like... You know, the rangers be like, oh, Mr. Walker, the reclusive billionaire that lives in his shack in the, you know, in the <laughs> woods. Like, you, well, anything you want, sir, you pay my salary. Here's and, medicine to make these persons yeah. live longer. So, like, the point is, though, that if the movie had captured us emotionally, if it had, if it had really captured us with suspense and with tension and with thrills, we wouldn't be asking any of these questions. <laughs> True story. That's true. Like, yeah. I mean, there are lots of movies with plot holes that are still good that you don't think of. There are movies with plot holes. When Skyfall is riddled with plot holes, it is god-awful, lousy with plot holes. But while you're watching it, it is so well-made and so tight that you are just caught up in the suspense of this intense James Bond action thriller that you just take everything as it happens. And then you're like, oh, my God, that was such a good movie. And then on the drive home, wait. How did Javier Bardem know that the train was going to be right above him and Bond when they were in uh, that uh, that sewer so that he could get off this awesome uh, awesome one-liner on Bond and then push a button and this <laughs> the ceiling would uh, explode and the train would come down and almost kill Bond. The movie's filled with things like that. But I don't think about it while I'm watching it. And if I watch it again, I probably still won't think about it. Or if I do, I don't fucking care. Because it will be so exciting. I'll just like, yeah, I'm just going to enjoy this movie. Also, how do those monsters make those sounds? Is there a thing in the costume that's like a little instrument? I don't so know. Adrian Brody's like blowing in this flute. I don't know how the like monsters monster. made those sounds. I know that there was like the, the weird ominous sound that happened when the winds were high. Yeah. And you find out in a deleted scene 
that uh, there are wind chimes that were hung way yeah, out yeah, in the woods. Yeah, yeah. But, but Adrian Brody's like making sounds and he's walking around in the costume here there's like weird monster sounds. Yeah, he's making monster like, sounds. He's not can't do that with his own thing. He's not even smart enough to he's figure it out. Yeah, and I can't so, I can't even really say he's giggling like a jackass because of his character and I don't want to be you know insensitive, but like his character giggles a lot <laughs> and says like very like silly and appropriate things. <laughs> yeah, his character's not doing those while in the costume. Yeah. There's monster noises. Uh, yeah, God, that Adrian Brody character is <laughs> problematic. <laughs> in, a, in a very problematic movie. He's the Duddits of the, uh, yes. the village. <laughs> He's the Duddits. Where like, to the author, like Stephen King is from the generation, where to empower these disenfranchised groups like minorities, you make them super awesome. You give them superpowers. So, yeah, in Dreamcatcher, Duddits has superpowers and is actually an alien and fights the bad alien. Yeah. That's weird. (laughs) And that's weird uh, even more that Donnie Wahlberg had to play a mentally challenged (laughs) character that secretly had superpowers. In this movie, the the special person is the only bad guy in the movie. He's the only bad guy in the movie, and I have to... (laughs) He's the only one who's evil... He's the one who stabs the guy you like, and then he's the one who pretends to be. He's the only one who's the actual monster. I have to. I have to think that that was done because this character. They keep saying how uh, they know everyone knows that Noah has snuck off into the woods and come back safely, and the monsters haven't killed him. And Walking Phoenix keeps saying it's because they see his innocence. They see you know his good intentions and his innocence, so they don't harm him. And since the and since I'm you know have innocent intentions, they won't harm me when I'm traveling through the woods to the towns. There's a character that everyone uh, associates with innocence that they don't think is capable of doing harm, and then he does harm. But you could have this with just uh, the nice guy, the you know this archetype of like, well, hey, I'm the nice guy. You know, so uh, I behave and I follow all the rules, so good things should happen to me. But Joaquin Phoenix got uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, not me. So now I'm angry and I'm going to kill Joaquin Phoenix. Like, you could do that without a, a challenged character. So why was Noah's character <coughs> the monster? Like, because that, he was doing that before the Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard thing. So, like, that makes sense after that as to why he would be this person menacing the town. So before that, is he just doing it because he found the costume? He somehow broke into this place somehow. Yeah, just for... And then was like, oh, this is fun. I'll pretend to be a monster. I'll wear this costume and throw meat around and make these sounds. Yeah. and like just for around. yucks, presumably. For yucks. Even though I can't, you know, like feed myself or do anything like real, but I can do, I can figure this out. I do like seeing Adrian Brody in the making of with his like fancy spiky hair and his yeah. stylish, you know, puffy jacket and his being like the true jackass that he actually is in real life. <laughs> oh, Academy man, Award winner, star of inappropriate movie. Oh, I hate Adrian Brody. I mean, um, banned from SNL, one of the few people really never allowed to host again because oh. he. Uh, before op- hosting whatever musical act, well, before introducing the musical act, 
he came out in a Rasta wig and was talking in a Rasta voice and went on some tangent. E- and Laura Michaels was like, and you're done and you're never coming back. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to, like, tear up a picture of the Pope to be banned from <laughs> SNL. Or be the Dice Man, but so Adrian Brody was able to get that. Before we go into the special features, which there are some very interesting special features that I want to talk Indeed. about. Indeed. Uh, another thing to note of this movie is the other thing that kind of came out of this was the very famous Roger Ebert review oh of this God. film, which was notorious. And I remember everybody talking about his review, his Chicago Sun-Times review of The Village. It was... Amazing! It's probably one of his best reviews, and what's great about it is he's, he's he goes through it without actually giving away any of the twist because I guess all the critics were told they could not, uh, they weren't allowed to talk about those things. Like they had to like they couldn't talk about the twist, but he had to still review this movie, which he clearly hated. It's one of his famous one star review movies, and in the review. He hates it and goes through all the twists are terrible and the and movie's hollow. But then the final part, the final paragraph is the most famous part where he imagines a reversal of time and him walking, the movie rewinding itself and him walking backwards out of the theater and the ticket going from the, the usher back into his hand and him getting his money back and going backwards to his car and leaving. And this is an elaborate reversal of time of Ebert imagining life pre the village before his time was wasted. It's one of the most beautiful Roger Ebert reviews. I highly recommend anyone listening to this go out and, and read it. I think it's one of the great Ebert. It is uh, great. It's, uh, it's excerpted <laughs> it uh, in the book, The Man Who Heard Voices, about the making of Lady in the Water, which we will read in the near future. <laughs> there are excerpts from all the bad reviews for The Village. Roger Ebert's is poetry. It's like acerbic poetry. <laughs> Talks about how like the premise is so thin, it can't hold up itself, and the movie's too somber to let even the slightest hint of humor or emotion in. It's and you know he's right on that account. It's a very solemn movie. He doesn't even really like the the, the soundtrack. I remember Ebert, I think, saying like, "Oh, the soundtrack is just so maudlin and just so just like like depressing and like so, one it's so bad." One thing I want to mention is in that book, it documents Shyamalan's parting ways with Disney. This is the last film he would make for Disney under the Touchstone label. Uh, Lady in the Water was made at Warner Brothers. President of Disney or the, the woman in charge of production or you know whatever, she believed that the problem with the village was that Shyamalan lied to the audience with the shot of that gravestone that clearly said it told all of the audience that this takes place in 1897 and you find out it doesn't so you lied to the audience instead of crafting this plot that bends and reveals a secret you just lied to everybody you said like oh hey everybody uh it's it's this thing and then you're like no 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 i i made that up it's actually this other thing (laughs) and that was her take on why this movie didn't work and i mean she has a valid point yeah, like there, at no point in the sixth sense is it clearly is it clearly stated to the audience this takes place in a world where ghosts do not exist. A lot of spooky stuff happens. It's hinted at, but it's never denied. And that goes into I feel like that ties into the fact that the the twists take away from the film. They take yeah. away beliefs that the audience had. 
So let's go into the special features. The one I really want to talk about is the Bryce Dallas Howard yes, yes. diary, video, journal, whatever. Because oh. I watched the making of first, and I'm like, okay, it's a pretty good making of. It's a good making of thing. Standard. But then there's a, there's a feature called Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce's like, diary. Diary. Like, oh, what is this? I, I figured it would be, oh, it would be like her day-to-day on the set, like she had a camera or something and was like documenting day-to-day. No! It really does feel and read it, like like when you watch it, it really feels like a teenage girl's diary, like of this weird mm-hmm. fantasy poetry, bad poetry, artsy mm-hmm. interpretation of like her experience of, of working on this film and, yeah. and then watching the finished film. Didn't it's I so it, weird? It's so it's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> I thought it was well written. I thought that, like... She couldn't have written that, right? There's no way it's actually her diary. It's like some weird extra feature for the DVD. It's like... I mean, if that's how she writes in her diary, she (laughs) needs to start writing novels. (laughs) Because it is incredibly well-written. It's It's well-read. It's it's well-read by Bryce Dallas Howard. (laughs) And then, of course, it's underscored with the great score of James Newton Howard, played by Hilary Hahn. Like, is there a way to ensure that when my loved ones read my diary after I die when they open it up that haunting violin music comes out because it'll just make everything way more impactful that was a good special feature so uh, did you watch the deleted scenes I did yeah so the deleted scenes they're standard deleted scenes oh that scene like Brendan Gleeson is awesome in this one scene oh where he tells the story about his brother he tells the story it's like hey this awesome this fucking awesome actor is awesome because He's great, uh, but it kind of slows down the movie, and it would make things even more confusing. So we cut it out. So it's a lot of scenes like that. But Shyamalan, he introduces every deleted scene and says what the scene is, and he says why he cut it out. And I always I like it when filmmakers do that, because mm-hmm. there's plenty of deleted scenes that are great, and he explains why. But he is wearing a lot of jewelry. He is. He has four rings on. And like a bracelet on A his, bracelet uh, and a watch. Right hand. Yeah. And he is bordering on becoming Peter Bogdanovich. <laughs> he has like so many rings. He's talking about movies, except instead of an ascot, <laughs> uh, he there's a negative yeah. ascot. He has a very deep V neck. Like his shirt is buttoned down. That's how you know he's made it at this point. On like he's the like second button. all this jewelry. You know, no... Uh, and no disrespect to Shyamalan, of course, uh, we're doing a podcast about him. <laughs> but it was it was curious to see him go from uh, in Unbreakable, where the deleted scenes are done in that warehouse, yeah, where, where he's, he's wearing like, like a, yeah. he's wearing a leather jacket, just walking around, yeah. introducing them Rod Serling style, yeah. to this where he's sitting in a movie theater with all these rings. <laughs> I just I can't help but think of Peter Bogdanovich who. <laughs> wears an excessive amount of jewelry and his hands are always out in front of him and he's just talking about, well... Uh, Orson Welles and I did this one Orson Welles and I did this. And now I'm going to do my Jimmy Stewart impression. And then Hitchcock talked like this. That's not how Hitchcock talked. I can't do a good Hitchcock impression. I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah I noticed the jewelry too. I was like, that's not a watch. That's just a bracelet. He's just wearing like some yeah. weird. Wouldn't that be? Bracelet. What if he was wearing two watches? <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the village. I would say the first movie that we've seen so far that I've really 
still have not liked. I don't feel any better about it. Like I feel, I felt better watching Signs again. I was like, oh, I liked that more than I did the first time. But this one, no, I still don't like this movie. There's still so many problems with it. It's not a good movie. It's a real failure. And we all hoped at the time that it was the only failure of Shyamalan's. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I did see. I was like, well, that true. that one wasn't very good. I can't uh, wait to see what he does next. Yes. I was still I was still on board for everything. I'd say I know we don't we're not doing star ratings. If I was to do a star rating, being as generous as I could, this is like a two and a half star movie. There's there's good stuff in it, but it has so many problems that I couldn't really enjoy it. I wouldn't prevent other people from watching it, but if you're gonna uh, ask for my recommendation, I couldn't really give it on the village. It's kind of an you know, it's an interesting entry into his filmography. But there's it's my it's my least just, favorite one out of all the things we've watched up until now. This is very bad. Even Train with Anger and Wide Away, so much better than this movie. Well, <laughs> those movies are very straightforward. But I do have to give they don't give them completely that. let me down like this. I feel this movie. Yeah, I felt this the first time, and I still feel like this movie is a real letdown. Like this movie is not cool to its audience. I feel like it's a real kick in the balls. I'm trying to watch a horror movie. And you're giving me this other thing, and it's not deep enough to make it worth it being this other thing. Yeah, there are so worse, there are worse like movies it. with shittier twists. Yeah, and Identity. Are, the movie yeah. Identity and there are movies that but. suddenly change genre halfway through, but this one just doesn't. It just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Work it doesn't at all. work. Like if, uh, like yeah, if I wanted to be kind, I would say that this is a minor film. I'm not kind. I say this is a terrible film. This is a one star movie. It's a one star for that one scene where Walking Phoenix gets stabbed. But the rest of the it's movie, a well made film. Like I mean, that's yeah. a well made scene. So you know that like but this filmmaker knows knows what he he, he knows I, what he's doing. He's capable of of great. But scenes. I think this is his least. Like I feel the directing and the similar cinematographiness is is not as good as the other ones. Like I think that yeah. I feel like Signs is well crafted and looks great. And Unbreakable, of course, and same with Sixth Sense, but I think this one like this doesn't really work. There are There's movies, some good shots, but like it's it does it's a bad movie. There are movies where I don't pay attention to the opening credits, or like I miss you know who did the score, who did the uh, the cinematography. But then when I'm 14 years old watching The Sixth Sense, I'm like, oh my god, all that camera movement that was so good. That's a good angle, or the the way uh, when Bruce Willis is asking. Uh, Haley Joel Osment questions and Haley Joel Osment takes a step back or a step forward and it's from his point of view that is so great I know who Tak Fujimoto was back then but I knew like this was great work and Roger Deakins is one of the best cinematographers ever people think of him up there with Gordon Willis and Conrad C. Hall with Conrad C. Hall like people put him up there when I watched The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford ooh that movie looks good it it is good. I really liked it. A lot of people don't. I can I, un- that, I can understand why. I can understand why. But did Roger Deakins shoot that? I think so. It is so beautifully shot. But I feel maybe based on this movie, it's <clears throat> only as good as the director. Yeah. Because Fargo looks amazing, and you remember shots of it because it's an incredibly well directed, well written film. This movie is not. And so there's not really anything to hold No, and the movie works in a lot of master shots. They talk about this in... Uh, which is fine. Which is fine. Uh, so the, the camera hangs back, and then we just watch 
the action play out kind of at a distance yeah. and it's it's almost like a play and yeah. that's fine i like that i really i really do like that in movies but it, it it's uh what's happening on screen isn't entirely interesting it's not going to be an interesting yeah. shot yeah i i feel if a movie is good if you if you remember the shots in it and stuff it's because the movie's a well-made movie if a movie's poorly written and poorly directed no matter how much talent you have working with you it's not going to be good it's just not going to hold up and this movie just doesn't hold up but next month we're going to do lady in the water we're going to we're going to read that book <coughs> about the making of the notorious book about the making of lady in the water and then we're going to watch lady in the water and then i feel well, let's just group in there let's watch that american express commercial okay. and put that as part of it because that was done immediately after lady in the water yeah it was around so I think the same, we'll do we'll get all that time. done in one swoop, and so that we're gonna have a lot of homework for us <laughs> to be able to read a three hundred page yeah. book. So yeah, we we um, each have to read the book. So I feel like it, <laughs> we took a, a longer break than usual between this and our previous episode. Uh, we will still do an episode next month, though we don't know exactly what time. I'm guessing later in the month, so we can each read this long yes. book. Because do you, do you own it? I own it. Yeah, I'm not going to pay money for that. So you read no, it first, it. and read then it. you give it to me, and I'll, I'll read it. I'll to you. I'm in, right. a, I'm in a book club, so I have to read that <laughs> book, and then I'm trying to work my way through the stand. Oh, my gosh. That's so much reading. It's, ama- it's, it, it's amazing. It is so good. I'm, <laughs> I'm over halfway through, which means I only have about 500 pages left. Oh, at least. Uh, and I want to get this book done. Have you ever read soon. that book before? No, I haven't. Have you seen the TV I, show? I've seen the, the, the TV movie. Right. It's, uh, yeah. But I tried reading the book when I was in the eighth grade. It was one of the first Stephen King books I ever bought. And I made it about 100 pages in. Same with me. I read 100 pages and it was like, eh, life's too short. This book is too long. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. And I, I, I think I instead read a Clive Cussler novel. Put it down and read some Clive Cussler thing. Like raise the Titanic or something like that. Because it was breezy. It was easy. Or I'm not going to read a 2,000-page book. Come on. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. Well, anyways. We will, we will do all this reading. And for this you. Watching. So you don't have to. So we can talk yes. about Lay in the Water next month. We're about, what, we're about halfway through his career now. Are we about the halfway mark? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because so he's got Lady in the Water and then The Happening and then his big – and then – all the other stuff. Yeah, and this big studio stuff. Yeah, and that is comeback. So, and it's gonna keep yeah. still making this. And I forgot to mention, there's a few, there's a bit of minutes for this. The uh, Shyamalan news for this month was that his idea and uh, vision for the Tales from the Crypt revival he's gonna do fell apart. They aren't gonna do it now. That's too which bad. Which is too bad because I feel like twenty minute. Shyamalan sounds pretty good. Like, yes, it seems like so, that could work. He's <laughs> always he always has had this sort of Rod Serling Twilight Zone you know thing. Going yeah, on. imagine if the village was only twenty minutes long. Then it would be fine. It'd be fine, even if it even if you hated it. Oh well, it was on. You'd be like, minutes. oh, there it, are so many yeah, awful, awful, truly awful Twilight Zone episodes and Tales from the Crypt episodes. But they're only 20 minutes, so I didn't waste that much time. I didn't put yeah. that much into, like, the characters or anything. And Shyamalan would have been a good fit because yeah. for his movies that don't really work for me, I I always remember thinking, well, that would have been okay if it was, like, a 20-minute Twilight Zone episode side. or Tales yeah. from the Crypt episode. But, but he didn't do it, and I think what happened, what I heard was that they didn't realize 
how deep the rights are to get it because it's based on a comic, which was in the HBO show, and, blah, blah, blah. <coughs> and so the whole guiding through who has the rights to get the whole rights to Tales from the Crypt. The one thing that made me skeptical about the Tales from the Crypt reboot, which is not Shyamalan, I feel like he was been a perfect match, was that it was going to be on TNT. So you couldn't have boobs or that much violence, which I know. is what made Tales from the Crypt That's so what Tales from the Crypt It's an R-rated Twilight Zone. And you're not gonna you're gonna still get a PG thirteen Twilight Zone if it's TNT. Yeah, so that's why I was like not fully on board with the Shyamalan uh, Tales from the Crypt reboot. And I yeah, and I don't think they were planning to make it based on the comics like the original. This was so great. Also, about Tales from the Crypt is it's based on actual comics. That's actual a good show. Comics. That was the best. So I'm trudging through the uh, British final season. That uh, season so is good. awful. Uh, it's gonna take me years to get through. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, thank you for listening to this. Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, please uh, subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That would really help us out. If if you like us, that is. Uh, if you don't, you probably stop listening well before this point. So, and to all of our listeners out there, all of our Twitter followers, we're at the M Night Shift. Thank you for listening and following us and interacting with us on the web. They still call it that, right? The interweb. The interweb. The World Wide Web. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Three W's. Wait, that, that's what it stands for. <laughs> I learned something new. And uh, if you are in Austin, please come visit us at uh, Vulcan Video with two awesome locations in Austin in the north part of town and the south part of town. Both have awesome collections of... The latest films, we have Logan and Get Out and Inferno, if you're into that. <laughs> we, we do not judge at all. And we also have, you know, obscure and foreign cult movies. We've got Herzog movies, the Dardans movies, but we also have Cronenberg and Bruce Beresford movies. Jodorowsky and all that fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. It's great. And The Village. And The Village. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We've got that. So uh, that we'll see you around, hopefully, and we'll uh, talk about uh, Lady in the Water. Please join us next month. Oh boy, Lady in the Water. Goodbye. Shyamalan twist.